0: This episode is brought to you by OneSkin, which is my go-to for skincare no matter the weather. Because unlike other products that you need to change up with the seasons, OneSkin products are powered by their scientifically proven peptide called OS1, which reduces the accumulation of damaged aging cells. Basically, instead of masking the issues, OneSkin addresses them at a cellular level, boosting your skin's natural barrier to lock in moisture and help protect against the elements. For a limited time, Birthful listeners will get an exclusive 15% off OneSkin products using the code BIRTHFUL when you check out at oneskin.co. And I 100% recommend One Skin. Not only does it make my skin feel, act, and appear younger, but friends that I haven't seen for a while are taking notice and asking, what are you doing to your skin? It is that good. And I also love their expanding line. On a day-to-day basis, I use One Skin Prep to wash my face, then I apply their OS1i topical supplement around my eyes and their OS1 face on my face and neck. Or if I know I'm going to be out in the sun for a while, then I use their OS1 Shield, which has an SPF that prevents UV-induced aging and repairs cellular aging all at once. Easy peasy. Get started today with 15% off using code BIRTHFUL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off at oneskin.co with the code BIRTHFUL. And after you purchase, they're going to ask you where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them BIRTHFUL sent you. Help your skin stay younger and healthier for longer with OneSkin. I'm a huge fan of preparation and prevention, and one of the most impactful and immediate ways to influence maternal and infant health is through nourishing nutrition. But honestly, when was the last time any of your providers had a meaningful conversation with you about eating habits and prenatal supplements? Prioritizing nutrition can truly change perinatal health for the better, which is why when talking about prenatal supplements, I'm proud to partner with Needed. They've redesigned the prenatal vitamin from the ground up based on the latest clinical research and in-practice experience of testing thousands of pregnant people's nutrient levels to know what they actually needed, not just to meet some bare minimum needs. And what I always tell my clients is that even though they're called prenatal vitamins, you should continue to take supplements during postpartum and beyond because your body still needs so much nutritional support. I love that at Needed, they understand this and have different plans to make it easy for you to meet your optimal micronutrient, microbiome, and protein needs. They have a fertility support plan, a plan for each of the four trimesters, and a lactation support plan, just to name a few. Needed is recommended by nearly 4,000 doctors, midwives, doulas, and nutritionists, and is proud to be the first perinatal nutrition company that's B Corp and climate-neutral certified. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of needed products. Welcome to Birthful Mighty Parent or Parent-to-be. I'm Adriana Losada. There
1: is like a DIY element to home birth, and that's not to say that you're cleaning up your own blood after you give birth. No, that's not happening at all. What I mean by DIY, it's exactly that. It's that emotional preparation, and it's that responsibility. That is
0: licensed midwife and owner of Small Things Grow Midwifery, Rubina Khaled, giving us a glimpse of why a home birth needs to be approached differently than a hospital birth. Now, no conversation on models and places of birth would be complete without us talking about home birth. And I also wanted to give you a little bit more context on the motivation for this episode, which came about after I read the open letter to the birth community that Robina wrote during the height of the pandemic. At that time, we all saw a sudden increase interest in home birth in our communities, but that interest was coming from the fear of giving birth at a hospital and not necessarily from a deep desire to give birth at home. Needless to say, that is not a great reason to have an out-of-hospital birth. So then, what do you need to consider to help you decide if having a home birth is a good fit for you? That's precisely what we'll be talking about today. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Rubina. It is so lovely to have you here on the show. Finally, we made it. I'm so excited to finally make it. (laughs) Let's tell the listeners, like we've rescheduled this interview about
1: five times, maybe. I think it's been five times. Yeah. It was a labor of love. For sure. No pun intended.
0: (laughs) So can you tell us? you are, a little bit about yourself, and how you identify.
1: Yeah, of course. So my name is Robina Khalid. My pronouns are she and her. I am a community home birth midwife uh, in New York City, which is unceded Lenape land. And I have been a home birth midwife um, for the last three and a half to four years. Um, Before that, I was a hospital midwife, and I've been attending births for the last seven years in one or the other setting.
0: Fantastic. And what are some of those things that people need to consider when trying to decide if a home birth is, is right for them?
1: You know, home birth is not like a hospital birth in your home. It's a, its its own thing. And so in order to want a home birth, you have to want a home birth. You can't just be afraid of something else, right? I think in most of the situations in life where we're making choices, pure fear as the primal motivator or the primary motivator is not going to give you the best decision, right? You need to be able to consider things beyond that fear. And so I always say to people, you can't only want a home birth because you're afraid of the hospital. You have to want a home birth because you want a home birth. And before we get too deep into it, I do want to say just at the outset that if that sounds discouraging, (laughs) I do want to say that for the vast majority of birthing people in the United States right now, and I would imagine most of our listeners are in the United States, from a physical level, right, on a physical level, most people are excellent candidates for home birth, because most birthing people are low risk. And so, you know, if it was just a matter of, like, if someone's sitting there being like, am I a good candidate for home birth? Like, is it safe for me to give birth at home? The answer is probably yes. But there's some nuance to whether you want to. Like if you're asking the question of should I or do I want to, it's different than am I a good candidate? Does that make sense? Absolutely. And then
0: we get into the whole aspect of physiology and how for regardless of where you give birth, you need to feel safe, secure, and and loved so that your oxytocin can flow and hormones can work, that your body can work to birth this baby. And if you're doing it from fear, it's not a question of the place where you give birth. It's actually, let's talk about that fear. What are you afraid of and how can we work around it and resolve it? how can we make you feel safe in the hospital if if that was your first choice anyway? Or if you'll never feel safe in the hospital, then, okay, let's look into home birth and, and what you need to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's exactly what you're saying is the reason why so many people who are laboring at home, right? This is like the classic example of how fear and those hormones of like cortisol um, can shut down the hormones of labor like oxytocin, right? Is The classic example of that is when people are laboring fine at home and they get into the hospital and they stall out, right? Like every birth worker has seen that. Many people have experienced that. And then from there, interventions start happening, right? Because the labor has essentially stopped. And that's it's because of fear, right? People are moving from a space where they feel safe to a space where they don't. The opposite is also true, right? If you have always felt safest in a hospital, and then you're deciding, oh, I should give birth at home. Well, the same thing could happen. If you're not feeling safe, you might not go into labor, or your labor might be complicated in some way. I mean, that's that's a vast oversimplification, but you you see what I'm saying?
0: Oh no, and I totally hear it. And I I find that people's labor when it stalls during the hospital, it might they might not inherently feel unsafe in the hospital. It's even even they need to acclimate to this new environment. Like the body needs to go, okay, this is all new. Let me figure it. Out. Oh, okay, we're good, we're good, we're good, and then. Labor might pick up again, or usually, often picks up again. If there's uh, interventions, that's a whole different
1: right. process. It but... depends on how long it takes to kick in again, right? <laughs> like it probably would kick in again no matter what, but how long is your provider going to allow it to naturally kick in again before they want to, you know, augment it?
0: Yeah. So you mentioned people needing to be low risk. What are other things that? So what? Two part question what constitutes being low risk and what other things, aside from being low risk, are things that are re- needed, I guess, required? That's like a hard word to use. It sounds very definitive, but to do a home birth.
1: Yeah. So that is a two-part question. I guess I'll, I'll answer the, the, I guess, slightly less complicated question first, which is the low risk, like what constitutes somebody being low risk. So that even that question has some nuance to it, right? Because we know that in the medical industrial complex, people are being told if they're 35 or over their advanced maternal age, and that increases their risk. And that's like this blanket term that doesn't actually confer really any risk that affects your choice of birthplace, right? And different home birth midwives and different home birth families will have certain gray areas of what's too high risk, right? So some home birth midwives might not do vaginal birth after cesarean. They might decide that's too high risk or they might not do breaches or they might not do twins. And some home birth midwives might feel confident that that's low enough risk to be at home. So there, there are a few things that are not absolute risk factors. You would have to you know, see how you feel about that and also how your uh, midwife feels about that. But I think most midwives would agree that There are a few things that are absolute contraindications, and one of them would be placenta previa, right, which is where the placenta is essentially covering the cervix. And that could be an emergency if you go into labor with your placenta there. Um, You know, very preterm birth would be like a contraindication to home birth. You want to have a full term baby at home because you don't have a peds team. Just to clarify, that would be counting from 37 weeks at least. So again, there's like a little gray area there because preterm, you know, up until very recently was defined as pre 36 weeks. So that 36 to 37 weeks kind of depends on the midwife and the family's comfort. But yes, the official definition is 37 weeks. But that's something you might again, that's a risk factor later. Right. You wouldn't know that necessarily when you're signing on with a home birth midwife. Same with placenta previa. You know, that would be something that would risk you out during the, the pregnancy
0: I also want to say that placenta previa is going to risk you out even in a hospital birth as well. Like if your placenta doesn't move away from your cervix, you can't have a vaginal birth. Right. Because the placenta is in the way. So that would be a cesarean anyway.
1: Yes, no matter where. Um, and it's also worthwhile to point out, cause this is one of those things, like a lot of people will pick up a low-lying placenta on their 20 week ultrasound and be like, oh my God, I'm gonna have placenta previa and not be able to have a vaginal birth. It's pretty rare for a placenta to stay low in the absence of a prior cesarean birth, right? So if you're somebody who's considering home birth and you're like, well, I have to see if my placenta is okay. Almost certainly it is. <laughs> so these are very, these are very rare risk outs.
0: Yeah, I've seen cases where more often than not, there is that. And then the placenta moves out of the way by the time you are ready to deliver. Yeah,
1: right. Because it implants where it implants when your uterus is small. And then as your uterus grows up, it migrates up the uterus with the fundus. So um, so other risk factors that you might know about before you get pregnant are things like an active seizure disorder, right, or hypertension Or, you know, I think most home birth midwives probably would not take on somebody with uncontrolled diabetes, um, whether it develops during the pregnancy or prior to the pregnancy. If you get gestational diabetes during a pregnancy and can control it, most home birth midwives do not consider that a risk out, right? Because your blood sugars are under control. But if you have pre-existing diabetes, a lot of people will consider that a risk out. Um, What else would there be? Like a heart disease or like a... Cardiac anomaly or some kind of anomaly seen on the anatomy scan of the baby, right? So if, if we, ha- we know that there is a chance that the baby, you know, might not breathe well or might need some kind of intervention shortly after birth, then that baby probably should be born in a, in a hospital. Again, all of these are very rare, right? Because most birthing people are young and healthy, <laughs>
0: And in the same way, things that might develop during pregnancy that then if you started out with a home birth midwife would risk you out to transfer to hospital care. You mentioned hypertension as a risk factor. So then
1: if you develop preeclampsia. Right. So there are some things that, you know, aren't necessarily things you would consider while you're trying to choose a home birth, but that could develop during a pregnancy that would risk you out of a home birth. And, and one of those would be something like preeclampsia or potentially cholestasis, which is a liver disorder. And so, you know, but I will say those things developing during, potentially developing during the pregnancy is not a reason to not get started with the home birth, if that makes sense, right? So because you will have the benefit of the prenatal care of your home birth midwife, leading up to that, and you will have the attention place so that if those things developed, they're not ignored, which is often what happens in the medical industrial complex, um, particularly to black birth people, black birth givers, um, birthing people, I conflated those together. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, you know- What I'm trying to say is that if you're considering home birth and you're like, well, but I might develop preeclampsia, even though you have no risk factors, that's not really a reason to not consider it. Because what will end up happening, you'll have the same kind of outcome, which is that you'll be screened for preeclampsia the whole pregnancy. If you develop it, you'll be transferred to a hospital and a hospital will manage your induction, you know, but you will have all the benefits of home birth care leading up to that point. Yes, Absolutely. Okay.
0: So that ties into another question that I had, which is when is the ideal time for them to contact you?
1: Yeah, so I always tell people the earlier the better. Sometimes people have an idea like, "Oh, I should initiate care with an OB and then transfer to a midwife, you know, just so the OB can like verify that I'm pregnant or draw my initial labs." Well, midwives do that too. We do all the standard care that an OB does. So, from my perspective, there's nothing but benefit to looking into this as early as possible, primarily, partially because the first trimester is such a vulnerable time. It's such a liminal state, right? You might feel sick. You might not feel sick. You might be exhausted. You might not be exhausted. Probably you're one of those two things. You certainly are not feeling your baby move yet. It's kind of like you're going on faith that you're pregnant. And for a lot of people, that's really hard to navigate. And also you may have spotting, like so many people have spotting in the first trimester, and it's so nerve wracking. And in in the system that we have now, they don't really have access or a close relationship with their provider during that time, because from a medical perspective, there's not much to be done in the first trimester, right? But if you initiate care with a home birth midwife, you automatically have access to someone who can be reassuring, or who can look into things if they're worrisome, and who can, you know, sort of Remind you that everything is normal and everything is okay and that you know and affirm your feelings of liminality in that first trimester So I I love when people get started early and the other reason for that is because you know, we live in a country that has not um, Prioritized one of the most evidence-based Interventions to improve maternal and infant mortality, which is training more midwives and so there is a there's a lack of midwives and because the care is so um individualized we don't take as many clients as a hospital-based practice would right because we can't we're not on a floor where we're taking care of six people at the same time so the longer you leave it the less likely you are to find somebody so that's why i think it's a good idea to sort of think about this seriously as early in your pregnancy as you can Um, that being said you can transfer at any time. You know, if you can find a midwife who has room in their schedule, you can you can transfer later if you need to.
0: And and we know how research shows that having midwifery care, whether it's at the hospital, in a birth center or at home, improves your outcomes, lessens the risks, lessens the chance of bad outcomes. So we we need more midwives <laughs> all around. We absolutely hope, yeah. need
1: more midwives. And we absolutely need more midwives of color because, because we're. it's also shown that having a care provider who is culturally similar to you also improves outcomes, right? And we know that our maternal health crisis is worse for Black um, birthing people. So we definitely need to be focusing on midwifery care. But of course, instead, we're putting all our... Uh, all our resources into more intervention and more technology. Well, and
0: there goes our technocratic model of healthcare that leads that way. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths per day? That is so many breaths. Now, according to the EPA, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to a 100 times more polluted. So then what is the solution for cleaner indoor air? For me, it's Air Doctor and their line of superb air purifiers that have captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and many more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes all kinds of pollutants, such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that can make you sick. Plus, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BIRTHFALL to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And exclusive to podcast listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to a i r d o c t o r p r o. and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. But I think it's really interesting also for people of color and in, in, in birthing in hospitals that one of the things that becomes really protective is also having more of your community advocating, witnessing, and basically really creating a safer space for you. Now, have you seen this of people wanting to do home births because they can have all their community within surrounding them that makes
1: them feel safer yes although it's funny i feel like <laughs> i feel like a lot of people who end up choosing home, home birth have this idea that it's going to be lots of people in the beginning and as they learn more about physiologic birth the cast of characters gets smaller and smaller and smaller because they realize that Actually, it's a super intimate experience. And that's part of why people choose home birth, right? Is because they want to not have a space where somebody random is walking in every 10 minutes. And so, yes, I do I do a lot of births where there are community members and family members and friends. But I also do a lot of births where it's just the birthing person and their partner and a doula and me and the birth assistant, you know? And I, oh, I'll add something to that, which is to say that One of the benefits I think people really see about home birth is that they trust their provider. They trust that their provider is on the same team as them and wants the same things as them.
0: Well, and that definitely stems from the months of building a relationship and having these meetings with you that are not 10 minutes long, but are actually um, an hour long or more or like whatever the person needs, which is a drastically different way of caring for somebody. Yeah. And centering their
1: needs. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think like, uh, uh, okay, before I say anything else, I do want to say a big part of what makes home birth safe is that in the vast majority of cases, birth itself is safe. So I don't want to say that it's all because you have this relationship with the midwife and the midwife keeps you safe. No, most of the time it's safe because it's designed to work. Right. And actually the more we intervene with it, the more we increase risk that something might not quite go the way it's supposed to go, right? Because it's designed to just go and be okay. So I wanna just put that disclaimer out there before I have the relationship take all the credit. But I will say that in the situation in which most birthing people are giving birth in this culture, part of what makes home birth safe is that there is a relationship of trust that's built over a long period of time between the midwife and the birthing family, because the the midwife is getting a really, really strong sense of that person's health on all the levels. We're talking to you about your emotional health. We're talking to you about your familial health. We're talking to you about your nutritional health, which is not just shaming you for how much weight you've gained, right? Which is talking about like, do you feel well-nourished? How do you feel in your body? How are you coping with the changes to your body? You know. We live in a society where any kind of weight gain is stigmatized. How are you coping with that? That's what I mean by nutritional health. I also mean movement health. Do you feel good in your body or as good as you can? And then we're also talking about your physical health in addition to all of that other stuff. And so what ends up happening is that the client really understands that the midwife cares about their health holistically and begins to trust them. And the midwife starts to learn a lot about the client so that if anything is off, everybody feels comfortable communicating it and also has the ability to notice it.
0: Well, and that emotional component allows for those conversations where if somebody comes up to you and you haven't had that relationship and they go like, but how are you feeling right now? Your answer is going to be different than if it's coming from somebody who you've had deep conversations with already, and you're going to be more open, more vulnerable, and frankly disclose
1: a a more honest situation. Well, there's a a really clear how would I say this? Most of us have a relationship with healthcare where most of us have had an experience of, to use a kind of like (laughs) loaded word, but I'm gonna use it anyway, have been kind of gaslit, right? Where we'll say like, oh, we're feeling, and I'm not even talking about obstetric care. I'm just talking about in the medical system entirely. I'm feeling X, Y, and Z, particularly if you identify as a woman. So all of us have that experience, even if it's on a more minute level where you don't wanna bother somebody with something that's not wrong, you don't want to like take up too much of their time or you just don't want to be gaslit so you don't bring things up. But if it's somebody who has listened to you, actively listened to you and gives you a space where you feel safe, then you're not worried about being seen as stupid or taking up too much time to say like, hey, is this normal? Like, is this thing that I'm feeling normal? Because I, I feel scared that it's not normal.
0: What are the responsibilities of an aspiring home birther? Because the preparation that is required for home birth at all levels, physically, mentally, how you prepare your house, how you prepare your emotions is different than if you're birthing at a hospital or even a birth center. So what are some of those responsibilities? How do you facilitate, I guess, emotional preparedness?
1: Right, we talked about like what makes a low risk person and then never got to the more nuanced part of it. Okay, so you're thinking about whether you wanna have a home birth. In thinking that, you really have to question whether you are open to being that agential, autonomous person, that you want to be an active participant in your care instead of like a passive recipient of care. So part of what that means is there is like an almost like a DIY element to home birth. And that's not to say that you're cleaning up your own blood after you give birth. No, that's not happening at all. Like the midwife and the birth assistant are taking care of. People often ask me like, is it messy? You don't have to worry about that. It is not not messy. And we take care of any mess that happens. But what I mean by DIY, it's exactly that. It's that emotional preparation and it's that responsibility. So I'll give a couple of examples. In the medical industrial complex, typically what's happening is there are certain standard tests that are done. And half the time people are drawing your blood and you have no idea what it's for. And often, when clients come into my home birth practice, having gone to an OB beforehand, I'll say, When they took your labs, did they talk them over with you? And they're like, They just said they were fine, but still don't know even what the labs are. That is hopefully not happening to you in a home birth practice, right? So, the first thing you need to know is that you are going to be asked to make decisions that you might not be asked to make in the medical industrial complex. I'm never even going to draw your iron levels without asking you if you want your iron levels drawn, explaining to you why it's important and explaining whether most people do or don't get that test, right? So we're going to have true informed consent. And, you know, most people want their iron levels drawn. But sometimes it's a bigger conversation about, for example, do you want genetic testing? Sometimes, you know, people will just get blood work drawn without talking about like the ethical implications of genetic testing in terms of like what you do with that information do they want that information what will that make them feel differently about their their pregnancy and so forth i think it's important people understand the consequences of certain testing that being said most of my clients do get genetic testing they do choose it but they choose it understanding what it means you know or sonograms like how many sonograms do you want What's the value of frequent third trimester sonograms? Like many people just get sonograms at every visit and in the medical industrial complex and don't know why and don't know that that's often looking for things that might be benign, but then will give a reason for an intervention. So you're not going to have that kind of relationship in home birth. You're going to have to make those decisions yourself. So that's one thing, like you do have to be comfortable with that because it usually means that you're going to end up reading something or you're going to end up having a long conversation about something and then having to decide it.
0: Well, and that goes right hand in hand with the level of involvement and education that you have to do. You really have to go <laughs> neck deep into learning what happens during birth at all levels because of the decision making that you're ha- having. to. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. That's my second example. So first, there's all this stuff that comes up in the prenatal care that you have to be an active participant with. But then there's the birth. And so part of prepping for a home birth, particularly if you have not given birth before, right, it's a little different for somebody who's given birth before, but if it's your first baby in particular, you really have to be prepared for what normal physiologic birth looks like because it does not look like what we're taught it looks like in the movies. It's not over typically as quickly as anybody tells us it's supposed to be. It usually happens later than everybody tells us it's supposed to happen. And so you have to be prepared for the frequent reality that it's gonna be 40 weeks, and you're gonna reach your due date quote unquote and people are gonna ask you like what are you gonna do are you gonna get induced and lots of people around you are all gonna have their babies before you maybe and you're gonna have to have this faith that like that is okay and the way you have that faith that that is okay is that you've done that kind of education with your midwife or in a childbirth education class or within a doula or by listening to podcasts or by watching movies or by reading there's a lot of different ways to inform yourself and most home birth clients will do some variety of those.
0: And I want to piggyback on that understanding that interventions, when we talk about interventions, we're not just referring to medical interventions, but that anything is an intervention. Just having a due date is an intervention. Deciding who's going to be present is an intervention. Deciding if you're going to have that blood work is an intervention. Having fetal monitoring. Like, right. Everything is an intervention when it comes to the what the needs of physiological birth are because you
1: need to be undisturbed right having me there is an intervention right <laughs> yeah exactly right like people need to understand all of that and it's funny as a midwife the longer i practice the more my constant refrain in my head is like what would happen right now if i wasn't here Like that's always how I'm checking myself because every single thing I do and say is an intervention. Just saying to somebody, do you feel pressure is an intervention, right? Because if they're not already actively pushing then that gets them into their head. Like, well, should I be pushing? Am I feeling pressure? What's happening?
0: Well, and oh my goodness, there's a research that they did in the UK where that was the control group. It was just whether the care team just mentioned the word pressure or didn't mention it. And just the ones that didn't mention it had more physiological, easier, spontaneous birth as opposed to people who just said, (laughs) do you feel pressure? Like just not, do you want to push? Let's have you push. No, just like let's have you check in whether that is something that needs to be focused on.
1: Right. Right. Because then you're scrutinizing yourself and like, oh, maybe I do feel pressure. Maybe I should be pushing. In my observation, if you should be pushing, you're pushing. If you're forcing yourself to push, you shouldn't be pushing yet in the absence of some kind of emergency. Right. Like I'm not going to there are no absolutes in birth. So I don't want to say there's never a reason to push before somebody's physiologically ready. But in the vast majority of cases, if you're Cerebrally telling yourself to push, it's too early to push.
0: Right. If you have to ask the question, if you have to think yeah. about it, then you're thinking about it. It's not time. And I do want to say, though, like the, everything's an intervention, but not all interventions are bad. Some of them are right. necessary. And it's great to have, you know, a doula and a midwife. Like, right. like I, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not a
1: bad intervention.
0: <laughs> and I think it's a great. But moment to sort of suss out a little bit of what types of home births there are. And we've mm-hmm. been kind of focusing more on a midwife assisted home birth, but there are also unplanned home births mm-hmm. that happen and planned unassisted home mm-hmm. births that happen. And then there's also this, which refers a little bit to what you were talking about of undisturbed home births that I think the movie These Are My Hours is a great example of that where they did have a home birth midwife present, but because they were so intentional in their choices of having an undisturbed as possible birth, the midwife was sort of like there in the background, letting the person do everything on their own unless they asked for something specifically. So you do a little bit of both is what
1: I'm hearing. Well, I like to think of myself as a somewhat intuitive midwife in that I I can adapt to whatever a situation throws at me because my client demographic is not at all homogenous. I have a lot of different people who are choosing home birth for different reasons and have different expectations of what home birth look like and have different cultural understandings of birth. And so I really try to meet people where they are. You know, I would say most of my births, I'm aiming for that undisturbed birth vibe. (laughs) I'm really trying to not disturb and not hurry and to just like, just be there to hold space. But, you know, birth is like life, it can be unpredictable. And also it's wrapped up in lots of different things in people's minds and emotional states. And so, you know, sometimes I have to be more or less of a presence depending on what people need. Obviously, if there's some kind of emergent situation then I really have, like if someone's, having a hemorrhage, I'm not, you know, standing there being like, well, I shouldn't disturb this, right? Like that, that, that is something that I will actively intervene in for the benefit of everyone involved. And which is why um, they're having you there.
0: Exactly, exactly. Another part of the things that n- people need to prepare for, like one of the responsibilities of of the home birther is to actually unlearn and really dig deep into all the cultural yes. beliefs they have Learn through their life of like, no, but you have to have a vaginal exam or you have to be told how to push. There's that preparation that also needs to happen depending on what type
1: of birth they want to have. Yeah, you know, it's really, it's, it is really interesting and it comes up even when you don't expect it sometimes. So I had a client who had her first baby in the hospital and was very disappointed by the experience. And we did a lot of unpacking of it and a lot of talking about it all through her second pregnancy and just like all the different interventions that she wished she hadn't had. And she was so educated, like her experience led her to just research like crazy before she came to her second birth. And in her birth, which was, you know, totally straightforward, I suspect she was transitioning when this happened, but I really, really remember it. We're like sitting in this quite dark living room. I'm sitting across from her doing nothing. Um, Everything's quiet. She's laboring on hands and knees on the floor. And she just looked up at me and she was like, should you check me? (laughs) And I just looked at her and I was like, what do you think? (laughs) And she was like, no, no, right? No, (laughs) but it was, you know, like those ingrained, even though she had done all this work and knew everything cerebrally, that cultural baggage and all those scripts we have in our head, they seep through. It's you're right in that trying to do as much work ahead of time really helps you weather when it starts to seep through. There's so much value, I think, in people going through whatever hard things they're going through in labor, emotionally or physically, and getting through it, right? So you want to set yourself up to be able to get through it by empowering yourself with as much information as you have going into it. And I think one of those big things that we need to unpack is like pain in labor and what that means and how pain can have value and how it's not just pure suffering. Like that's something I talk with my clients a lot about in um, in their prenatal care, because it is a big part of choosing a home birth. Right. You're not choosing a home birth thinking, well, I can just go to the hospital and get an epidural if if it hurts too much. Like nobody's going into a home birth like that. And so we have to wrap our brain around the fact that we're gonna do something really painful without any pain medications. And I think sometimes even in the quote unquote, natural birth or birth advocacy spaces, we still have some focus on like how to minimize the pain, how to, hypnotize yourself so you don't feel it as much. And we we sort of aggrandize this idea of like the calm laborer and the peaceful laborer and the person who breeds their baby out. And so I feel like I have to do a lot of talking and encouraging of people to just, you know what I think a lot of the prenatal care is in a home birth setting is facilitating acceptance of people's selves, you know, that we can just get through whatever we need to get through. With how we have to get through it. And that's okay. That's very countercultural, that idea that we like have what it takes and whatever we do is fine is like something we have to, I have to convince my clients of because they've been told their whole lives that like they need all this other stuff.
0: Well, and I totally appreciate the value of the pain. And we know there is a value hormonally, like that triggers other things that are your natural opiates. And I have a whole podcast on the purpose of pain with Rhea Dumpty, which is so good. But I tell my clients the same thing is I expect you to get to a point where you say, I can't do this. Marathon runners do that all the time. They hit a wall right. and we keep moving. It's okay to
1: get there. And, right, the both and, yeah. And so part of preparing for a home birth is realizing you're going to reach this point where you are like, this is crazy. This is horrible. Like, why am I doing this? And then you're going to get past it and you're going to have done this insanely amazing thing and tapped into this power that you did not know you have. And then, you know, you have it for the rest of your life.
0: And it's not about having to achieve this goal and be better than others. No, I No. when I have my clients and they say, yeah, it was really intense. Like they were they were screaming, they were cursing, they were saying, oh, this really hurts. They were talking about pain. And then afterwards, in retrospect, they go, yeah, it was painful, but it wasn't that painful. It was more intense. It was more just a lot of. Yeah, yeah. it was more intense.
1: Work. Right. And, you know. Going back to the why do people choose home birth question, right? If you're interested in a physiologic birth and you're interested in doing birth without pain management, first of all, home birth is one of the only places where you might actually have a real good shot of that. But that aside, it makes it easier to, which is not to say that it's easy. It just makes it easier to do that in a place where people are not pathologizing it, right? So people have faith with you that you can do this, that people aren't treating it like it's suffering, like people who you know care about you, that you've met before, (laughs) and that people you care about because there's a relationship there. Like all of that does make the pain of it, the work of it easier to handle. You know, we talked a lot about like how people... Choose home birth because they want that autonomy. They want that individualized care. They want a physiologic birth. They want an unmedicated birth. But we should also talk about the benefits of home birth beyond just like the laboring person's, I don't know how to say it, sense of autonomy, which is the most important thing, probably. But in terms of like when we talk about, you know the only the best outcome for, The birth is a healthy baby, which when people say that in the hospital, they really mean an alive baby. You know, like, it's really like they're saying, well, aren't you glad you came out of this with you and your baby alive? Because alive is not thriving, right? Alive is not necessarily the same thing. Yeah, the definition of... And I think people, when they think about me as a a home birth midwife, I I feel like there's sort of a stereotype. Like, maybe I'm a home birth midwife because I have some philosophical attachment or aesthetic attachment to natural birth. And like, I have like some judgment that that's better. You know, and people should feel some kind of way about their birth. When really the truth of the matter is, I'm a home birth midwife after practicing the hospital because I believe I can give better care. And because I believe that for the vast majority of low risk people, it is safer. You know, when you're looking at whether you should give birth in a hospital or you should give birth at home. A lot of people see it as like, I'm choosing the hospital, which is known to be safe, or the home birth, which is maybe less safe, right? That's not really what the calculation is. Both the hospital and home have certain risks. And so what you are doing when you're choosing between the two is choosing which set of risks you have more tolerance for. So if you're choosing to give birth in the medical industrial complex, your risk of having some intervention that may physically or emotionally cause some kind of trauma to you or your baby, it's probably likely. When you're looking at a home birth, you're choosing a very small risk that some kind of emergency might pop up for which it would be better if there was a whole team there. But that's not that likely to happen. You're sort of weighing that and that's an individual process. But I will say that we know that home birth comes with a lot of benefits like better respiratory transition for the baby. Um, less suturing for the client, obviously more much higher rates of vaginal birth, increased rates of breastfeeding, which is huge from a long-time health perspective, typically less postpartum depression and emotional trauma. So there are actually physical benefits to choosing to give birth at home as well, in addition to many, many emotional ones.
0: Yeah. You have seen an uptick, and and, and your colleagues as well have seen an uptick in terms of requests for home birth. I want to put it into perspective. Like, right now in the U.S., less than a 2% of all births happen at home.
1: Right. I don't know if there's going to be a lasting increase in home birth. I think if there is, it's not going to be huge. Like we're not going to go from 2% to 16% or something. You know, it might go up a percent or two, if that. It takes a really long time for these kinds of cultural beliefs to shift. But what I notice is that I am seeing more diverse populations look into it. People who didn't think they had access to home birth suddenly were like, do I have access to home birth? And so you didn't have to have the same amount of cultural capital to know that it's an option. So it's been nice for me to know that there is increasing access or or ideas about access for home birth.
0: And we all benefit from more choices. Yeah, absolutely. Rubina, thank you so very much for this fabulous conversation.
1: You're so welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: That was homebirth midwife, Robina Khaled, owner of Small Things Grow Midwifery, a thriving home birth practice in New York City. Robina loves the art and the science of midwifery and the way it's constantly challenging her to grow. You can find her on Instagram at Homebirth, And you can connect with us at Birthful Podcast. In fact, if you are not driving, we would love it if you would take a screenshot right now of this episode and post it to Instagram sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and share it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and get your free postpartum preparation plan. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Platy. This episode was produced in part by LWC Studios, Paulina Velasco, Jen Chen, and Kojin Tashiro. Thank you so much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on Good Pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen, and come back for more ways to inform your intuition.